Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Stephanie and Megan. Stephanie and Megan, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Stephanie going first? Certainly. Hi, Tom. Hi, Megan. I'm Stephanie Nashwadi. I am the Chief Customer Innovation Officer for North America, been at SAP about five years. So thank you for having me today. Thank you, Stephanie and Megan. So, Tom, thanks for having me and Stephanie. Looking forward to the conversation. Um, Megan Riley, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Global Strategic Segments, which includes our Platinum, SCP, and Private Equity segments globally. Fantastic. And we're here to discuss the role of women in the workplace and, you know, how that's changed over the years. So just to add a bit of context, could you maybe both kick off with how things were when you started out in the, in the, in the business? And maybe again, Stephanie, if you want to start off. Yeah, thank you, Tom. So I began my career in the um, mid-1990s in Silicon Valley in the tech industry, so kind of accidentally stumbled on to the whole growth and birth of Silicon Valley and the internet and all of that. So um, I was a naive, you know, 23, 24-year-old starting with a, a software company, and uh, I had the good fortune, as I said, I think, to start with the right industry. Never really thought of myself as a female versus versus a male, but there were definitely um, interactions that I had that made me conscious of that. Uh, there was a difference in how I was um, either treated or perceived as a female and probably how I ended up behaving and growing as a leader. Okay, and Megan? Um, so I would say, um, yeah, I was flashing back as Stephanie was talking. So I started out my career in, in technology, in sales, and I think um, one of the biggest differences now are how many more women are in the sales force than at the time. Um, and I had, um, I remember going into my first big um, equivalent of our customer success summit, um, big annual kickoff meeting. And we had, you know, um, we had pre-sales on the left. I worked for PeopleSoft. We had pre-sales on the left and we had a lot of women in pre-sales and they come from the HR business um, at a lot of our customers and on the right side of the room were all the salespeople. And if there were, I mean, there were very few women. I mean, you could probably count them on two hands on that side of the room. And I think that's changed a lot. And I think the other thing that's really changed a lot is, um, you know, the type of speakers that they would have were usually male sports figures. And I think, um, you know, I have a lot of female friends who love sports, but um, I think that that's changed a lot in terms of um, the representation of sports figures, if we have them and the thought about who's in the audience. So I think there's been some changes, although I did always feel like I was treated equally amongst my peers. Yeah, I, I guess when, so oh, sorry, Tom, I was going to say when I, when I look back on it, I remember comments that were made, Megan, like um, I gave a bunch of resumes to a hiring manager and he right in front of me went through them and went like, yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no. And he looked at me and he said, I run a skirt free zone. 
Like I, yeah. I, I will not hire women into my, into my region. And at the time I said, geez, that seems rude. I didn't think it is wrong and it's not something that should be allowed. And, you know, I think there were, there were subtle things for me and I was with Oracle at the time. You just noticed that the women who I worked with did not have any photos of their kids or family in their offices. There was no rule about it, obviously, but it just, there was this impression that if you talked about your kids and your family, that you weren't serious about your job. And as I said, I was, you know, 25, 26, I got pregnant with my first daughter. And I remember just being very conscious of like, okay, I'll keep this from bothering my job. Like, I'm just going to hide this under a big chubby skirt and pop out this baby and keep doing that. So, no, I, that's, that's, I mean, you are right. I felt always treated equally amongst my peers, but I do, you just, I just remembered something. I, it's been years. I had a manager who, um, talking about some account assignments and I had a question about it and he said he has a family to support. Now I was the breadwinner in my family. I made the most money in my household and there was a bias at that time that I think that always assumed that it wasn't the woman that was the earner. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there was a recent study done on the Supreme Court and the female justices are interrupted 90% more than the male justices because, and, and I don't mean just from the attorneys, I mean from the other Supreme Court justices, the female justices were being interrupted more. So they actually changed the way that they now ask questions. Um, in 2017, they changed the rule, they changed the way that the justices ask questions it's just really subtle that it happens. Um, and it's just something I think that we have to all be, be aware of. And that there's no doubt us growing up in that environment changed the way that we gave our opinions, offered advice, built teams. I think it, it definitely impacts all of us. And how did you overcome those kinds of challenges? Well, well, for me, I think one of the things I did as a young female leader was to, to find my voice. If you're in a room and there's 28 men in you, Rather than giving my opinion, I would ask questions because it was softer. Rather than saying, I think it should be blue, I would say, what do you all think of it being blue? So I, I had an approach where it was a little softer rather than, and that was the word I used, which is terrible that you're trying to be soft, um, but it was less disruptive for me to go into a question mode. And I do think as a leader now, asking good questions and truly understanding problems before solutioning is actually a strength of mine. So I don't think it was a terrible thing. And I think in general, whether it's raising my kids or whatever, I go into that mode, right? <laughs> it's just a different approach. So I think that was one. I guess the other would be when you're a young female leader, I, I felt like if, if I wasn't the smartest one in the room, I wouldn't say anything at all. And now, and I was never the smartest one in the room, never, most of us never are. Mm. So I've also learned that that doesn't matter, that you use your own intelligence to amplify the intelligence of other people around you. Very much like a basketball coach doesn't have to be the best basketball player, but he knows how to coach and drive results from a team. I think my orientation became about that, about building teams, building um, decision-making and consensus rather than having my opinion drive the group. So I think that has is a hallmark of how I lead today, or I hope it is. Okay. That's interesting. I think I adapted a similar way in terms of asking questions and trying to soften yourself. Um, I think, you know, without, without actually thinking about it, it was something that just I developed. But I agree. I think asking questions, understanding the context, understanding the problem 
is something that um, that I, I do as well. So I think that's a trait that I've seen in, in a lot of women leaders. One of the things that you also touched on, and I've noticed with some of the women that I mentor, some of the younger women, they do think they have to know everything. Um, and I, so I don't think that's changed. And maybe that's an early career thing and not just for women, but I did always feel like you, like you had to study harder, no more than the men in the room. And I do think I've seen that in the younger women I mentor. And, and I've told them exactly what you said is you, you don't need to know everything. It's okay to ask questions. If you don't know, learn from the people around you, use your strengths exact, you know, so that, I guess that's not changed as much. Oh, interesting. I, you know, I have a line, Megan, I use, which is people need to know how much you care before they know how much you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think you're right. I do think young leaders in general, male or female, hit you over the head with how much they know. And it can turn you off a little bit because you wonder, do they care about you as a human? So I right. think it humanizes us all as leaders to learn that people assume you're smart when you're in particular roles and you can relax a little bit more and show your, you know, how much you care on your human side. And I guess the other thing I would say, Tom and Megan is I, I personally, my style I've developed is that you don't always have to be serious to be taken seriously. I lean on humor a lot and I lean on humor in particular in tough, awkward situations. I had one recently and it made me think about this call that we were all having because it was definitely a situation where a, in my opinion, a man was being sexist, kind of inadvertently, but we had an interaction. He used a particular, particular phrase that was pretty um, uh, inflammatory. And my response to him, I just laughed and I said, okay, Ron Burgundy, you know, women are allowed in the, are allowed in the newsroom today. And he burst out laughing. Great. And I called him Ron Burgundy. We were able to both be aware that he had said something really inappropriate <laughs> and move past it and protect the relationship. Yeah. So for me, humor is what has allowed me for 25 years to work with men, some of them who look like they just got out of the cave. They just, they're <laughs> cavemen, they just jumped out of the fraternity. And I can engage with them in a way by saying, you know, don't be Ron Burgundy. Yeah. No, I, that's a great tactic. I think humor can disarm people. I mean, we had even, it wasn't a confrontational situation like that, but one of my colleagues used a fairly, and he's, I, he's normally not this way, but fairly sexist term and we tease him about it now. So, I mean, it's, I think you use humor to diffuse it in general. Humor is disarming, but that's great. I'm going to use that. that. I was getting out of a taxi cab. I was on my way to a big meeting in Milwaukee and I was getting out of the cab and the taxi driver looks at me and he sees in my purse, I have the wall street journal and he goes, geez, it's not often you see a woman who reads the paper. Oh my God. (laughs) I said, yeah, they just isn't it amazing? <laughs> wow. Well, I guess these days it's very rarely you see anybody reading a newspaper. Yeah, I'm not saying I can actually see the paper without my readers, but I do try to read it. <laughs> and so wow. would you guys give advice to younger women today to be softer, the kind of the approach that you took or, or not? What would you say to people today? I think it's a great question. I'll tell you, I had another interaction at work recently that made me think I've leaned too much into the soft side Okay. because I'll know something's not right or I'll know something's not the way it should be. And I'll take, I'll do work too hard to build consensus from other people to agree with my position rather than just say, nope, that's not all right. 
And I was on a, a call with a male leader who was just much more clear about, nope, that's not okay and that's not happening. So for myself, I'm actually trying to um, trying to show my teeth a little bit more because I'm, it's just it's causing cycle times it shouldn't have to right. that other male leaders aren't. So I think with women, it'll always be a balance as it is for men, right? Yeah. How do you collaborate but be very decisive? It, it's a struggle. I got it. I think I think it's more accepted for women to show their femininity and also be strong than it was perhaps when we were starting out. Um, so you can, you know, have your pink handbag, but you can also be strong. And I think there was a time where that was not, I mean, the reason we talked about softening ourselves because you were perceived a certain way, a man was strong and aggressive was potentially a good thing. But if you said that about a woman, it was not aggressive or it's not perceived as a good thing about a woman. Um, and, and you could hear it in the tone of voice with the same word being used. So I think, um, I do think that's changed for younger women and they can be more their authentic self, whether they're, you know, more aggressive, um, but also feminine and embrace that or whatever they are. Um, I think that's changed a lot. Yeah, th this particular example was something where I would say the, um, the, the man who's at the same level as me, the word we would use was he felt very strongly about that subject. I think if it was a female who behaved that way on the call, it would have been she was very emotional. Wow. Do you think that's true, though, Stephanie? And I don't disagree with you that I could absolutely see that happening. Do you think that's true if you had a group of men and women on the phone who were younger in their career? Do you think they've come approaching things differently versus your peer group or my peer what group? What I would say to you, Megan, is one of the reasons I love how SAP blends early and seasoned talent is I learn from the younger women that I work with. I was on the road with a woman who's two decades younger than me, and we were in a situation, and she looked at me, and she goes, that's just not okay. That shouldn't happen. And I was like, gosh, I just wish I had that same gut confidence as you do that that's just not okay. So I do think women have learned, like, that's just not an all right. They're, they're just not used to it. We can't help it. For 25 years, it's been the status quo. So I do think women today have a bit of an advantage in that they don't accept things you and I may have tolerated. And potentially, I think maybe the male colleagues that are also younger have come from a different, they maybe sure. are more enlightened from that perspective. Sure. I, I'm feeling old and unenlightened at this point, but <laughs> <laughs> apologies. What kind of current threats are, are women facing in the workforce now? Well, I mean, I obviously, I think what jumps to mind is that the pandemic, um, you know, when, when you hear what's happening with COVID-19 and the number of women who've either left their jobs, gone part-time, downshifted, or not taken on big roles because they need to be home with either kids that are home or parents or, or whatever their situation is, you, you hear about it in the paper and it's numbers and it's stats and it's concerning. It hit home for me when I was hiring for a really coveted, very senior spot in my organization. And I had a lot of female leaders who were kind of next in line and none of them put their hat in the ring. So, I, you know, I got on the phone and I said, geez, I'm really surprised. I'm disappointed. I, I thought I would see, you know, you hear. And the response I got was, I just can't. I've got junior high kids home. I can't take on a, a job like this. And I'm thinking this role isn't going to come open for another 10 or 15 years. And I just couldn't talk a few women into even putting their hat in the ring. So when it hit home like that, I'm like, that's going to have an impact for a decade of this person's career. So for me, the pandemic is, is a really, really obvious one. But 
you know, Megan, I'll turn to you. I'm sure you're seeing other threats as well. Yeah, no, I've seen the most in the pandemic with women. And I, there are a few, um, there are male colleagues, this is affected as well, but more disproportionately towards women because they're the ones that are both, they were locked in their homes for a year and a half. They're managing, you know, their family, their household and their careers in many cases, um, or they're taking a, a maybe in many cases, a, a larger percentage of some of those things in their household. Um, and I think it's been really tough on people. And I do, um, to your point, worry about we were making progress in terms of equality and people moving up in, in different levels of the organization. And SAP does a great job in trying to foster foster programs and help people and identify early talent. And I do worry about, I have a couple of, of younger women who have young families who um, had to really take a step back and it was, they might've gone for another position, you know, had it not been everything they were managing in the pandemic. Interesting. Just let me throw something at you based on that, on both of your observations there. Uh, you said that particularly, Stephanie, you, you called it out, that this will affect these women's careers for the next 10 years. But won't it also affect the organization's success for the next 10 years? Yeah, 100%. And I w will say one of the things that's phenomenal about SAP is I think they're aware of these types of macro trends and take steps to address them. So SAP has announced what they're calling an SAP returnship program, which provides an opportunity for women to re-enter when they want to. Um, I, I think we've done you know, a bunch of program, programmatic things to be aware of this happening and give folks a, a path back. So I, I do think organizations have to do that and recognize that they're losing talent. I, I also think we announced something, it's called Pledge to Flex, which is this 100% trust-based work environment, which I do think um, will benefit women that either need to work remotely or in different locations to support their families. So I think anything we can do like that to provide a structural foothold for women is the right thing to do as an organization. Okay. And for women like yourselves who are in leadership roles, I mean, there aren't enough of you, but how, how can you help the younger women achieve the kind of leadership roles that you have? I think it's keeping an open door. So I mentor a number of women. Um, I think it's helping make sure that um, my male colleagues know these women as well, because, you know, maybe the percentage of women in certain levels of the company may be fewer than men. So it's important that the men are also bringing up our early talent and, and some of women and other diverse talent. So it's making sure that you help get them introduced um, at the right levels, both form, you know, we have formal processes um, where we do that, but informally as well. And, and taking that on and really making sure that you help get them known so that they can get to that next level sooner, as soon as they're ready. Okay. Stephanie, any, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I guess a big piece of it, Tom, is recognizing that we all have a responsibility to make it better. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm being honest, I steer away from being seen as just a female leader, because I think when we really made it, I will just be seen as a leader. Um, we're not there yet, but I actually have to realize that I have to, people are looking to us to speak out um, and, and to talk about these topics. And as, as Megan said, to really be an advocate for whether it's networking or support or, or, or any of that, you know, letting people know that you care about them, you see them and you know they're struggling, I think is really important. 
I think people people go to work for their paychecks, but they also want to feel like they're making a difference, having an impact, that they're recognized. And I think women in particular, it's really important that we acknowledge the struggle that they're going through and that we care about them as people. And it's not just about doing the right thing for SAP, but that we care about our, our workforce and their families. So I try to communicate that where I can. Okay, very good, very good. Looking forward, I mean, what kind of advice would you give to women in industry? You know, what kind of, if they're starting out on their careers today, what would you say to them? Um, just let me think about that for a minute. If they were starting <laughs> their careers today. Well, I think uh, one of the things that's changed a lot is the recognition of the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. So I think the sooner they understand that, I, I didn't have a mentor for most years into my career. And then, you know, there's been a lot of research done on mentorship versus sponsorship. There's been several studies that have been in um, Harvard Business Review in the last year and a half on that. So I think it's helping them understand um, and helping them get one. Um, that as well as being mindful of their career. Someone said to me about five years ago that, you know, there's a thought that just doing a good job, you're going to be recognized. And just that is not always enough. So it's it's getting that help to expand their network and early, earlier in their career. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and when we talk about just starting out today, Tom, I mean, obviously a lot of women and, and, and men are starting their careers in a virtual environment. That is going to be a new set of skills that none of us had to, had to develop, and they have to develop it very, very quickly. So as Megan says, I think that network piece is really, really important owning their own careers, knowing that at the end of the day, they're responsible for their success and their growth and, and all of that. So I think trusting in themselves is really important. Um, but I think selecting a company that is aware of and recognizes that this is something where we still have work to do. And again, I do think SAP does a good job of this in terms of having metrics for you know females in leadership. When we do something like distribute stock in the organization, we look at it through a gender lens, right? Are we doing that in a, in a, in a good way? When we look at attrition, we say, you know, what are the female and male population departure levels? So what that tells you is if we start to go off course or if there's a particular part of the org where we're not doing a good enough job, we have data to, to recognize that. And when you have the data, you're able to address it. So my advice really to people starting out is you should pick a company that cares about stuff like that and looks at it. And then when you get in that company, you want to make sure you're working for a leader. I always use the word sunshine. You want a leader who's getting enough of their own sunshine that they can spread the sunshine on you. Because as you're growing up in your career, if you're working for a leader who's not um, getting enough of that organizationally, they'll never promote and support you because they need all the sunshine themselves. So I think, you know, trust in yourself, pick the right company and work for a good leader. And then it, 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 once you've done that, just do the job you're in as well as you can. Stop, don't be looking up to your next role all the time. Like if you're an ice cream scooper, a chambermaid, a taxi driver, whatever your role is, do it really, really well. And then success will, will come. Okay. How do you identify those companies that, you know, care about these kind of things? I mean, Again, for me, I'm working in that environment now. And it's one of those things when you're in an environment where that doesn't happen, I think you pick up on it pretty pretty quickly. For me, I think doing third-party research, super, super important, right? Where you're listening to what the CEOs are saying, you're looking at the types of thing they measure, even listen, listening to, earning, to quarterly earnings reports. There are companies who only talk about numbers, 
There are companies that talk about their people, their workforce, those types of things. That gives you a sense for what they care about. Um, as they always say, a fish rots from the head down. So if you have a leader at the top who cares about these things, chances are the organization does. So for me, that that would be some guidelines for how I would I would look at it. Very good. Uh, no, I, I would agree with that. I think what I have also noticed is in younger people starting out in their careers, they ask a lot more questions about about that. They care a lot about being in the right culture as well as in the right leader and the right group within an organization. And it's really important to them. Probably more, I think it, it should always be important. And when I think back on my career, the places where I've been happiest are the places that support all of those things. But I think the younger people in their career are very conscious of that and how much it's going to impact um, their success and how they feel about when they come to work every day. And I think SAP does a great job in uh, fostering the culture. You can tell from all of the things that we do, the you know rankings um, that we have. But I think it's really important that they're going to get it from the manager when they're speaking to a manager or the leader of an organization um, as they're interviewing for a position. They need to understand that. But I think they're really looking for that. I, I agree with you, Megan. I think you said it right. If I looked back when I was 25 and interviewing, all I cared about was the job offer. How right. much is people going to pay me? <laughs> I'm going there. I don't think I thought about those things. And I think people today are much more informed about that. So I think you're right. So for maybe another advantage, Tom, you were asking us some of the advantages women have. Yep. I think there is that awareness. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, folks, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. So, Megan, Stephanie, is there any question I have not asked you that you wish I had or any topic we've not addressed that you think it's important for people to be aware of? Well, I guess for me, my the advice I give to all women and men would be think of yourself as a little sponge and the more learning and knowledge and expertise you have, the more valuable you are. And our job as employees is to be as valuable as possible to the organizations we serve, but also we, we have an obligation to ourselves to make ourselves as marketable as possible. So I always say to people that continuous learning, it's overused, but it's really true. Mm. Never just settle with, hey, I'm there. You're, you're always a work in progress. You're never there intellectually. You always have more you can give to an organization. So whatever company you work for, make sure that you're learning and taking all that in, because I think we are getting to a place where most companies are meritocracies and you are promoted or developed or paid based on your expertise. So be selfish about learning. Nice. Megan? That's great advice. Um, actually, when you were talking about the sponge, I, I'm going uh, next week to see my 102-year-old grandmother, and she is a sponge. She still reads three books a week. I just sent her my uh, four books on Amazon on Sunday. Um, but she had a saying that she always said, when the tarts are passed, take one. And from a career perspective, what, what I think about that is being open to the opportunities. So you're in a position and you're doing your best, but you always, it, it, it's along the continuous learning. But if you have an opportunity to participate in a task force or a pilot program to expand your learning and your experience, um, and, and the diversity of your experience and your network. I mean, always, always take that opportunity if it's offered to you. Excellent. Excellent. Superb. That's been great. Megan, Stephanie, if people want to know more about yourselves or any of the topics we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? 
I always use LinkedIn for these types of things and I'm always happy and very open to reach outs. And one of the things I'm proudest of in my career is the connections I've made with that ecosystem, hooking bright women up with other bright women. I'm always happy to do that for any of your listeners. Super. And we're always hiring Tom. So <laughs> any of your listeners are welcome to come work in my organization. Tremendous. Exactly. I would say the same. Also, LinkedIn, and I know we're going to have some new positions opening in global strategic segments and always looking to uh, build uh, new talent and bring in people with diverse experiences. And my door is always open as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Ladies, that's been really great. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Tom. Great to talk to you, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster, and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.